Thank you, Jake, for that intro music for our podcast. Jake wrote that music and played that music himself. In fact, Jake sent that to me in an email, which had the whole of my golf group bopping on the eighth hole at Moona at the weekend. Thank you very much, Jake. If anybody wants any jingles, email me. I'll give you Jake's email address. Right, this is the Marcus Today Members Podcast. Tuesday 30th of January and as of 11.33am today we were above our closing all-time high but we're still slightly shy of our all-time intraday all-time high on the ASX 200 which is 7,632.8 we are sitting at 7,623 as I speak so getting there. I wrote on our banner on the newsletter today close to an all-time high high now or never. The conditions are pretty good for the market. We have inflation and interest rates peaking. We had that inflation downtrend confirmed by the PCE index number, which is a quasi-inflation number in the US on Friday. We have a Fed meeting today, which not today. We have a Fed meeting this week, Thursday morning our time, which will hopefully pass the same message, the same vibe that inflation's on a downward trajectory and heading towards its target. If that's the case, that's a pretty good backdrop for the market. Powell will give a press conference. We also have the US jobs jobs numbers on Friday, and we also have an RBA meeting next Tuesday. And this rhyming expression has perhaps got rather more coverage than it needed to, needed to, but it rhymes so it sticks. If ever you want something to stick, a brand message, make it rhyme. But it is the suggestion that the RBA will do one more to be sure, one more rate rise to be sure, at their meeting next Tuesday. I think it's unlikely, but it rhymes. So all that's quite a good backdrop to the market. We also have big tech results this week. Microsoft, Google, Qualcomm, Amazon, Apple, Meta, all with results this week. And that will kill or fill this big tech rally, which has led the US market to its all-time highs. The big stocks in the US, I'd say the Magnificent 7 accounts for 30% of the S&P 500. We have recently bought the FANG ETF, which is about the best exposure you can get to big tech AI stocks. We bought that in the ideas portfolio and the strategy portfolio last week as a bet on the results season being good. Let's see what happens. So far, the results season hasn't been that good. We've seen Tesla fall 13% last week. I think Intel was down 12% on results. It hasn't been going that well, but let's see whether the, the real big tech stocks can do a bit better. And that could set us off once again and drive our market to new highs. We have hit this all-time high resistance level five times. This will be the sixth time and backed off. If this big tech results season is okay with the current macro backdrop, you've got to assume that if we're going to make a material break into new ground, then this is the moment to do it. And this week, with all the events going on this week, just needs to drop into place and we should head higher. So fully invested in the strategy portfolio. We've got a big bet on the US market already with 30% of the strategy portfolio in the S&P 500 ETF, 30% in the NASDAQ ETF, 
and now 10% in the FANG ETF. The 30% we hold in the ASX 200 ETF whilst it's doing well is and has underperformed the US ETFs. But that's okay. We'll pretend we're Australian investors. Show a bit of loyalty and include Australia in our strategy portfolio. So a busy week ahead. And if big tech does fall into place, if you are a trader, we haven't done it yet. But if big tech does fall into place, you'll probably find Australian tech starts to look a little bit better as well. The tech sector has been about the worst performing sector recently. And I can see zero wise tech and block being a reasonable trade if US results behave themselves this week. Interesting little sideline I read here. December retail sales sales in Australia fell 2.7% in December from October. It seems Black Friday and Cyber Monday in November are the new Christmas for retailers. Interesting little thought. Quick mention of some of the other macro factors. The death of US troops after a drone attack has put a new geopolitical risk into the market, which the market's ignoring for the moment. The idea that the US may start to cross swords with Iran. A look at the Australian and US 10-year bond yields in the chart in my section today shows that they are starting to come off the top. They came off the top after that PCE index number on Friday in the US. And they are on the point of pivoting from going higher to going lower. As you know, we had this pivot just before the end of the end of last year where interest rates started to rally again, where it seemed that we had overestimated the timing or got too optimistic, enthusiastic, irrationally exuberant about interest rate cuts. And we have sobered up in the last month. But it's just looking like that rally in bond yields might now start to trend down again. We're on the cusp of a pivot point lower rates will be good for the market. As I say, Fed meeting and the jobs numbers this week might just set us off in that direction again, which as I say, will be good for the market and will drive us through all time highs. Otherwise, the lithium sector is like the sirens. You can't help but be drawn to them. You have to lash yourself to a mast whilst you row past in order to avoid losing money in the lithium sector. But there is a bit of a short term rally going on today. I'll leave Henry to handle the small stuff. And in the ideas portfolio, I'd only trade, I think, the lower volatility large stocks, Pilbara Minerals and Mineral Resources, for instance, PLS, the more geared to a lithium recovery. But I do feel the sector is poised to trade short-term rallies in the hope that they turn into material pivot points. But we are poised to trade, I think. Haven't caught this little rally. We've seen PLS, for instance, up from 325 to 365. We'd have to be a very keen short-term trader to have bought it so far, looking for a more decent pivot point in PLS before getting involved and possibly MIN. But some of you might be trading lithium in the very short term. There does seem to be some relief from this deep, deep sentiment hole they've dropped into. A few upgrades around in Fortescue Metals. That's up today, up 1.5% today, and was up yesterday when BHP was down. I've got a chart of BHP and the iron ore price in my section today, just noting that the iron ore price has been coming off the top. I've been watching BHP recovering slightly in the last few days, even though we don't hold it in the BHP one stock portfolio. Glad to see it coming off a little bit, or the iron ore price coming off a little bit, just not enthused enough. 
Woodside, we hold it in the ideas portfolio. Looking rather nice. We're now up 6% on that trade. Middle East tension helping, although the oil price actually came off last night, 1.2%. But technically, if you look at the chart, that Woodside trade getting going at the moment. REA Group, I don't know whether you read about India. They have 5.7% of their revenue coming from India, but the CEO is talking India up. I am wondering whether India is a theme for 2024. There can't be that many companies in Australia exposed to India. Coal stocks are, and they are flying. And REA also flying, despite sitting on a PE of 60 times and a yield of 1.2%, and a price-to-sales ratio of 20 times. It just looks expensive. It is the online advertising sector, along with Seek, REA, Domain Holdings, Car Sales, been quite a good growth sector generally and REA which we hold in the growth portfolio performing very well I note the average broker target price is now 13% below the current share price put it this way if you were doing things the Warren Buffett way you'd be selling REA but the share price is up 45% in a year 20% in a month sorry in six months 6% in a month just trending bottom left to top right happy to hold it let's worry about selling it when something goes wrong a eh? and maybe in India is going right. If you want exposure to India, there is one Australian listed ETF, the Better Shares India Quality ETF code IIND, that has been bottom left to top right, listed in 2019. It's not exactly flying. In the last year, it's gone from about $9.50 to $11.50, so doing okay. I haven't looked at the structure of it. It says it tracks the performance of high quality Indian companies listed in India, and the stocks are picked out on a combined ranking of four fundamental ratios, return on equity, growth in earnings per share, debt to equity and earnings stability. Anyway, India, could that be a theme for this year? Also in the growth portfolio, Paladin, seeing a touch of profit taking in the uranium sector in the last day, certainly. Everything I read, including or kicked off by reading the Paladin results presentations, is about the growing acceptance of nuclear energy as a green energy, particularly in Europe. That's the long-term theme. In the short term, it is obviously volatile. Paladin's been overbought. The uranium price has been flying. I see Shaw's last week talking about a uranium price of $150 up from which is currently $106. So they're talking about price going higher. They must have some capital raising for a uranium company coming up. But uranium still a good medium longer term theme. But that's not to say I wouldn't happily sell Paladin if I thought I could get it back lower down. But for the moment, holding on. And I put it in the newsletter today, but just a bit of experience tells me one of the best or most successful low-risk trading techniques is to find a good long-term bottom left to top right stock and trade it for the good bits. As you know, I used to do that with Webjet was my example. But Paladin might be a good stock to do that with. Far better than trading a stock in terminal decline, in brackets, lithium stocks at the moment. May not be terminal, of course, but better to be trading stocks that are trending up generally. And let's hope uranium stocks do that. My last little comment today was on the CBA. CBA hitting a new high, new 52-week high, along with 
many of the other banks, looking expensive relative to history, not expensive relative to other stocks in the market. But why sell, especially if you're chasing income? Results coming up on the 13th. Let's sell when it goes down, shall we? When it goes down with a reason. At the moment, there is just a chance, and I think this is why most of the banks hitting 52-week highs, that the tone for the bank results is set by the CBA and the message is we're doing really rather nicely and that might be why the sector's performing well because results are going to be good and we have quarterly updates from the rest of the sector as well. Let's see what the vibe is but whilst the trend is good there's no reason to sell anything. CBA is now up 21.4% since the bottom in the market in November. We caught a 14% trade if you remember and when it started to come off in early January we sold it thinking that was it and it's kicked on again. So something right is going on with the CBA. Institutions obviously convinced that the results are going to be good. We've got a couple of weeks before those come out. Otherwise, we've got an Australian CPI number tomorrow. Let's see if that changes the RBA's mind or whether it avoids one more to be sure. I think this CPI number would have to be a shocker to get the RBA raising rates again. Right, that's about it. On the education front today, so many questions. I probably shouldn't have started this, should I? One of the problems with asking members for questions is that you get some lovely emails. I all need replying to, but it's such a killer for productivity to be answering 20 emails a day. So apologies if I don't get to you. But let me just answer a couple. There have been a few emails about currency and I covered hedging last week and the message there was any Australian ETF that is hedged or unhedged is unlikely to perform too differently from what you expected to do because of the currency. Currencies move very slowly. So the impact on ETFs of being hedged or unhedged is usually minor. And anyway, it's very hard to guess the currency. There are professional currency traders throwing themselves on the rocks every day of the week. It always, always made me laugh that the CFD people, the platforms who worked out that there's very little chance of people losing their 10 grand in their gambling account, sorry, their CFD account, if they're only trading BHP during the six hours that the equity market is open, especially when it only trades once a minute far better. They persuade you that you can trade Forex from the comfort of your own kitchen on your mobile phone in the back of your limo. That stupid advert. Some young kid in the back of a limo on his mobile phone trading Forex. Yeah, right. Particularly incensed me that advert, but whatever. The CFD guy's trying to persuade you that you can trade Forex from the comfort of your own home. And the reason they do that is because Forex, unlike BHP, Forex trades 24 four hours a day, it ticks every second, and you burn your $10,000 on their platform in an average of three weeks instead of an average of three months trading equities. So Forex is the big game in town, and they give you the idea that it's something important. But let me just tell you, Forex is very slow moving. It shouldn't change your view on whether you buy an ETF or not because of the currency. As for my view on currency, what would I know? All I can tell you is that I feel this 60 to 65 cent area 
is the very stable base of the Australian dollar. And we are down here. There you go. That's an opinion. The mere fact I use the word down. And we are down here because in a period of rising interest rates and inflation fears, everybody was buying safe haven assets in the US dollar, which kept the US dollar higher. So I think as we get more enthusiastic about global growth, which we might be getting to that point. We've been worrying about US recession, of course. But as we get more comfortable with global growth, that may take some time. It's a very slow moving cycle. But as interest rates drop, we get more optimistic about growth. You should see the Aussie dollar rising. So if anything, at this point in time, I would be a bit of a bull of the Aussie dollar. But it's complete guesswork, as I say. Things change. But generally speaking, I'd be expecting the Aussie dollar to head higher over the next year. Assuming no resurgence in inflation, assuming no economic disappointment in the US in particular, I would guess the Aussie dollar would be going higher, in which case I would prefer to be buying hedged ETFs. So the ETFs with the H in HNDQIHVV, for instance, over the other unhedged ones. But the currency is not the point, is it? So view on currency, or I'd be betting on the Aussie dollar going higher rather than material lower from here. But what would I know? Another question I've had, it's not so much education, it's more members questions I'm doing now, but can we please explain the calculations behind weightings in the portfolio? Compare and contrast against maintaining equally weighted portfolio holdings. I've had a couple of emails. That's one of them. I've had a couple of emails upon along these lines. How do you decide on the weightings? It's almost as if we should have some set formula. We don't. Weightings are to do, I think, with volatility. So if you were to Google position sizing, you would find out how some traders use things like the 2% rule to work out how big a percentage they should take in a particular trade. And it's all to do with volatility. So the message is a 2% rule, for instance, uh, sorry, by the way, is if you've got $100 to trade with, that's your total trading capital, then you shouldn't expose yourself to any more than a 2% loss of your total trading capital in one trade. So you set your stop loss, any stock you buy, you set your stop loss, this is a trader, right, using stop losses, you set your stop loss so that the maximum you can lose is 2% of your trading capital. Now, when you go into a stop loss calculation, there are set percentages for stop losses. In other words, I'll sell if it drops 5%, or there is a rolling stop loss, or there's a rolling stop loss based on volatility and the most obvious volatility measure is ATR, average true range. So you set your stop losses at one or two times ATR. I know I've lost 90% of you, but just hear it through whether you understand what an ATR stop loss is or not. doesn't really matter. I'm trying to talk about weightings. So you set a stop loss and generally speaking, it would be a very tight stop loss if you set a two ATR stop loss. Three ATR might be better, wider, but you're exposed yourself to 50% more of a loss. Anyway, if your 2% rule, so losing 2% of your total capital, so if you've got 100 grand, you're only allowed to lose $2,000 on the trade. If you're buying a stock that moves a lot, so it's got a high ATR and you set a 2 ATR stop loss, it might work out that you'd lose 10% of your capital. So you can only set a 0.4 
of an ATR stop loss, which is ridiculous because it's moving one ATR a day. So in other words, when you've got more volatile stocks, and this is the main point, excuse all the previous jargon, the main point is when you've got a very volatile stock, you have a much smaller position size. Otherwise, you could blow too much money in one trade in the very short term, just in the normal daily movements of the stock. So you don't give the trade a chance at all because you may be betting on it trending higher but if you're going to have a stop loss that's one ATR or less, you're clearly not going to give it a chance. So you'll get stopped out whatever happens very quickly. So if your position size is related to volatility, then the same sort of principle runs in our portfolios as well. So if, we, if we've decided, as we have, that we want to sort of limit our portfolios to 20 stocks, I'm talking the growth or income portfolio, or that is a fairly standard sort of thing, 20 stocks, in which case for $100 of capital, although say you might keep 5-10% in cash, then for the capital that's left over, you might divide that equally between the stocks. But then if you're going to include the CBA and you're going to include Data 3, you're going to end up with the same sized holding in CBA as Data 3. That doesn't really relate. And also it's too small a holding in CBA if you consider its volatility relative to the C- the volatility in Data 3, which which might be twice as much, three times as much as CBA. So you would naturally, also as a fund manager, you'd naturally much more heavily weight the bigger, lower volatility stocks, which also helps you if you're going to benchmark yourself, particularly to the ASX 200 or similar. If you're going to benchmark yourself to an index, you sort of want to start with the major holdings in your benchmark and ask yourself, well, which ones don't I want rather than necessarily which ones should I want? But you will find in order to come anywhere close to your benchmark, you've got to weight in similar sizes to the benchmark. So if the CBA is 5% of the benchmark, you might even start thinking if you're going to be holding CBA, I'll have 5%, not an equal percentage with all the other stocks. So the message on weightings is bigger, lower volatility stocks, especially stocks that feature highly in your benchmark, tend to get heavier weightings. Smaller, more volatile stocks in particular tend to get smaller weightings. So if you have 20 stocks and 100%, 5% each, so you might end up with the standard size for a stock that's outside the ASX 200. You might be saying, oh, maybe I should only have 2% and I'll add to it if it goes up and cut it if it goes down. So you can see with 20 stocks, 5% that your smaller stocks are going to be 2% with a view to adding to them if they go well. And your bigger stocks are going to be index weight and maybe a little bit higher. So if CBA was 5%, you might have 8%. So hence the weighting sort of right right themselves and what you do find of course with weightings which if you haven't understood this weightings move every second the share price moves so the weightings of our portfolios are ticking over every second and changing every second because the share prices are going up and down and we've got the same number of shares so you'll find that the naturally the stocks that perform extremely well have higher weightings because they've grown from 2% to 4% or 4% to 8%. Or if the CBA goes up, it goes from 8% to 10% or 12%, which it has.
sides recently. So weightings depend on size of the company, volatility, and if you are a fund manager, the weightings in an index. But the main thing I think for self-directed investors running their own portfolios is how much do you want to sleep at night? So if you go and buy 10% of Megaport, you're going to be awake all night. Megaport's up 27% today. Maybe you'd be sleeping sleeping like a baby, actually. But that gives you an idea. An income portfolio is slightly different. I believe income stocks have to be low volatility, so they do have to be larger companies. There aren't that many of them around. The net result is income portfolios should, I think, have in Australia overly large exposures to the banks because they are some of the best income stocks, not just in our market, but possibly the world. They're too big to fail. They are not very volatile. And consequently, a heavy weighting to banks distorts the size of other holdings, income portfolios, are, and their weightings are going to be far more top weighted to individual stocks rather than spread nicely amongst 20 stock picks. I think you just have to hold much more banks in an Australian income portfolio. Anyway, there we go. That's uh, weightings. I witter on as usual. Hope that was half helpful. As I leave you, our market up 31. We've got a few of the lithium stocks kicking along. Arcadium LTM up 6.4%. Mineral Resources up 2.0%. Liontown up 6.8%. Bit of a recovery in some of the disaster stocks. Domino's up 1.9% today. Gold Resources, which dropped 18% yesterday, up 8% today. Haven't worked out why Nickel Industries is up 21% today. Interest rate sensitive stocks, QBE going down today. Maybe that's the peak for interest rates. Computer share also down 1%. I mentioned these at the weekend. Stocks that do well when interest rates go up. IAG is another, another one. All of them are in the worst performing. 10 stocks in the top 50 today. Megaport up 26% on results. Revenue up 5% in its quarterly trading update. It's not results, quarterly trading update. Talk of a city chic bid, CCX. Share price up 21% today. The AFR says they've had several informal approaches for its North American business. Vale, the second biggest iron ore supplier in the world, had good production numbers overnight. Results on February the 22nd. And nickel stock, Nickel Industries, biggest producer in Australia, up 22% today, coming off its 52-week low on the back of a quarterly production number and a lot of chatter about a new capital management framework work, which includes a share buyback adoption of a new capital management initiative to target higher shareholder holder returns, including dividends, and up it goes. Right, that'll probably do you for today. We are still waiting to take out our all-time intraday high, up 32 points at the moment. Gold and technology stocks the best performers, resources up, financials down, energy down. That's about it. You have a fabulous day and I'll let Jake take you out.